بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم على سيدنا محمد سيدنا وسندنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا ومولانا صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد الحمد لله الله سبحانه وتعالى from his greatest blessing to the creation was the sending of uh, to instruct uh, human beings in how to live and how to deal with the difficulties of life. And from amongst them, the greatest of his Anbiya, والسلام, Sayyidina Muhammad, وسلم, uh, the one who was mu'ayyad and, and, and given help and given uh, victory through uh, not only miracles and through uh, miraculous physical means but through great realms of wisdom or amounts of wisdom and meaning uh, that uh, he brought to this ummah, great hikmah, uh, through which the ummah was able to negotiate uh, all sorts of difficulties and trials and tribulations, and through piety and righteousness achieved those things that um, cynical uh, materialism uh, or calculated Machiavellian utilitarianism uh, were unable to achieve. Whoever holds fast to the methodology sent by the Messenger of Allah وسلم, will be successful in this life and honored in the hereafter. And whoever turns his back to it does so only uh, to his own peril and only to push uh, himself or herself closer to perishing. The topic of today's talk, uh, which I chose uh, and perhaps the name could have been more descriptive or vivid or specific. But the topic of today's talk is uh, very relevant to uh, the situation our community not only finds ourselves in right now, but has really been teetering on uh, for quite some time uh, since the end of the protection of the state uh, for the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in most places, uh, or the end of those institutions that protect meaning and protect uh, uh, the integrity of knowledge uh, 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 for the Ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. When we talk about the meaning and the integrity of knowledge, what do we mean? There's a an entire branch of, of philosophy uh, or an entire branch of, uh, you know, thinking about about knowledge and about the sources of truth and what you consider uh, uh, to be truth uh, um, that, uh, that, you know, this ummah is somewhat uh, uh, unique uh, and it's the, the kind of the Badi'u Zaman, it initiated a new age in human history uh, with regards to, uh, which is what is that when people would give you information uh, as a Muslim, traditionally you would ask, well, where did the, this information come from? You would try to evaluate what the uh, the reliability of that information was, uh, instead of uh, simply listening to it and then saying I accept it or I uh, I don't accept it. And uh, this is uh, you know a skill set that has basically become dead uh, amongst people. And part of the 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 acceptability of information has to do with authority. And part of it has to do with procedure, meaning how did you go about 
uh, 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 obtaining that, uh, that information. And because authority has broken down and people are ignorant of procedure, what, what used to be uh, a, a marvelous uh, constellation, a galaxy of, uh, of, of, of different stars, uh, that were in the in the darkness of the night sky of existence, by which the people of this ummah were able to take guidance and to move themselves through, uh, you know, through their path in life. And you know, Islam offers you guidance on so much more than just, you know, how to make wudu and how to pray. And the sad and almost sick and twisted thing is now that because we no longer understand the system or hierarchy of authority or process in order to uh, uh, derive uh, authority or in order to validate knowledge. We're stuck in this kind of hamster wheel of like, you know, getting into a fight with the Imam every, uh, you know, every, every day, every week, every month about the same stupid, like three, four issues. And the issues aren't stupid. You know, this is what the stupid part is the fact that we have to, you know, rehash and renegotiate all these things again, 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 and again, we have to rehash and renegotiate. Well, what is, uh, uh, you know, what is wudu? Do I have to, you know, can I make wudu over socks or can I, uh, you know, do, do I have to, uh, uh, you know, wash my, uh, my ears this way or that way? What's your proof? You know, do I have to sit uh, a second time after the second sajda before getting up or can I just get straight up? I mean, these things are important in the sense that anything connected to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is important. But the idea that the ummah has to kind of like redebate all these issues again and again in every like little locality, uh, it should be clear to anybody who has half a brain that the, the, the Muslims are never going to be able to understand anything more profound uh, uh, about their own existence or about the deen if they can't get beyond this sort of neurotic and uh, 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 you know just obsessive compulsive questioning of those things that we take for granted in our dunya all the time. And can you believe? Can you can you uh, uh, believe that? Like you know, if a person were to have this idea inside of their head, like you know, oh, if I turn on the you know my my light in the kitchen, you know, maybe the gas is leaking and it's going to blow the entire house up. Um, you know, if they had that thought every single time they turned on the the light in their kitchen, like what kind of life are they going to live? And someone might say, well, Sheikh, you know, like I actually smell gas and it's, you know, it might actually be dangerous. So, yeah, if you smell the gas, then please don't turn on the light. But the idea that this waham runs through, you know, spurious and unchained thought runs through people's head again and again every time. What does it mean? It means stuff like what uh, uh, Dr. Jawad uh, uh, told us about. You're never going to be able to process it properly in the light of Revelation. It means stuff that, like, you know, the things that uh, Ustad Mubin and uh, Sharif Tubqi talked about in the morning. Uh, you're, you know, you're never going to be able to think about any of those things. You're never going to get to any of those things. You're going to have this Islam that is not a complete way of life. Rather, it becomes a kind of like a rabbinic training or obsessive training for like some sort of priesthood that nobody's ever going to enter in the first place. And uh, it, it is a it is a it is a mental illness. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't talk about these things or discuss these things or that, uh, you know, precedent from the past shouldn't be examined. But there's a time and place for it. And that time and place isn't Facebook and it's not Twitter and it's not Instagram and it's not Snapchat. Uh, the time and place for that, if you want to, you know, go go down that alley, 
is uh, go ahead sign up uh, you know for uh, Arabic learn your grammar go learn mantik learn you know uh, logic or rational uh, 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 formation go learn uh, uh, your uh, you know learn your basics and then spend your life in that if that's what you want to do but this idea that everyone can litigate everything it leads to a circus and the idea is this is that someone might say well shit we have to start from somewhere you know you have to start from somewhere if you want to do something you have to do it the right way you have to do it the right way which is what suck it up and go and study if you're not willing to trust anybody else with the job you know then the 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 if you're you know if you can't trust anyone else with the job then you have to do it yourself if you're neither going to do it yourself and you're not going to trust anyone else to do the job and you're still going to cause a fuss and you're still going to cause a problem, you're a shaitan. And I know a lot of people who are like this. And I know a lot of people who are like this and they have the savior complex inside of them that they're somehow, you know, they, they're aware of some problem out there, some nebulous problem out there uh, in the deen and how the ulama are misleading everybody and they don't know what's going on and they don't know about Western philosophy and they don't know about science and they don't know about this, they don't know about that and uh, uh, their sellouts and their smellouts and their God knows whatever, you know, things they want to say. It's so important to them that they have to get up and cause a fuss and raise a ruckus, but it's not important enough for them to actually learn the ilm themselves, learn the Arabic themselves, learn the Nahu and Sarf themselves, learn the Balagha themselves, learn the Mantiq themselves, learn the Usul themselves, learn the Furu themselves, learn the Tafsir themselves, learn the Asanid, the names of the narrators themselves. If you were to, you know, they'll tell you about this Hadith and that Hadith, but if you were to crack open a book of Hadith in front of them, they would be unable to even vocalize properly the names of the narrators, much less understand what's inside the Hadith. And uh, it's enough is enough, you know, enough is enough. There's an expression from the wisdom tradition of the Muslims, which was very beautifully distilled uh, in a lot of the Persianate literature. Uh, but it's there in, in the introductory books of, uh, of, of Arabic that most people skip over because they think they're too, they're too good to read. Um, uh, and so from that kind of Persianate uh, wisdom, you know, they say that the, uh, the lion, when the lion is uh, absent from the jungle, the jackal turns to the hyena and says, Bidre man sultan bud, that did you know my father was king? Obviously, who's the king of the jungle? It's the lion. So when the jackal turns to the hyena and says that my father was king, it's a joke. It's a complete joke. It's not funny, though. It's a joke in the sense that it's not something that anyone in their right mind would take seriously. But here we are, where the jackals and hyenas are uh, saying my father was king. And it's not a new problem. It's not a new problem. When the Ottoman state was intact, when the Mughal state was intact, these are not, uh, these are not political entities that are perfect, but they were uh, uh, in the sense that they were what they were. They, they did exist. You know, they had judges that uh, were mandated to rule uh, based on the book of Allah and the Sunnah of the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And they had madrasa systems in which uh, uh, the knowledge was taught, taught and read and mastered to a, a supreme degree. If you look at the books of Sheikh uh, al-Islam uh, Mustafa Sabri uh, uh, the last Sheikh al-Islam of the Ottoman Empire if you look at the books of uh, his adjunct uh, Sheikh Muhammad Zahid al-Kothari rahimahumullah ta'ala wa qaddasallahu asrarahum these were giants these were people who were very uh, well aware of the in, ins and outs of our tradition those who agreed with them and those who disagreed with them the four madhabs the different uh, uh, masalik in, in aqidah and in kalam 
the different madhabs are madhabs of nahu of arabic grammar but since you're never going to you know give a glorious bayan about nahu nobody's ever going to like um you know fawn over you and uh, you're not going to get a hundred thousand followers or likes uh, uh, you know, on, on, on Twitter or f Facebook or whatever for being a, 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 a master grammarian. People don't know about it, but they knew all of these. They knew the different madahib of all of the things, the different opinions of all the things. And on top of that, they're very well conversant with um, the, the, the philosophy of Europe uh, in their age, of Western Europe in their age. And, uh, you know, Sheikh Mustafa Sabri, one of the most beautiful works in the last century, he wrote uh, a two-volume work about the uh, proofs of the existence of God. And they completely blow a person away. And if someone were to, you know, listen to uh, some small part of it, you know, they're just left flabbergasted. Uh, if you want to know about it or hear about it, Sheikh Omar Qureshi, who used to be the principal in IFS, now he's a, uh, 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 an instructor in Zaytuna uh, College in uh, um, in California, uh, you know, he's, you know, I've attended his presentation uh, about uh, uh, Mustafa Sabri Effendi's uh, work on the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's just amazing. You see people in the crowd, like the lights come on, like as if their iman was like, uh, was like nobody's home. Then all of a sudden someone turns the lights on. They're like, oh, bleep, this thing is actually real. And these people are geniuses. And from them going back through tarikh, going back through our history, so many people, just amazing people. And when you share a little bit about like, you know, like excerpt about what, you know, what their ideas were, what they said, what they thought, what they talked about, people say, Sheikh, where can I read more from that person? I'm like, you read Arabic? No, 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 in translation. I go, why the hell is anybody going to spend years of their life translating a book when you won't even believe them when they tell you how to make wudu? Why would anyone do so? It's not like we do this job to get paid. There are some of us that do this job to get paid. Those are the most dangerous and some of the most mischievous miscreants um, that are a threat to Islam. If we're doing this job right, we're not doing it to get paid. So if nobody's going to listen, it becomes a complete waste of time. And this is the wabal, this is the complete destruction that has come on our heads because what? We're not able to recognize authority in knowledge and we're not able to recognize the proper method of obtaining knowledge. And the reason I'm bringing this up right now, this has been a perennial issue and not a perennial issue in the ummah, but at least in my life, in my lifetime. I've never seen a time that this has not been an issue. The reason I bring it up now is that it's laid double bare because of the, uh, the coronavirus epidemic. Why? Because now you have a situation where people are locked down. Dr. Jawad can tell you more about the psychological effects that that's had on, on, on you know, a, a large number of people being isolated and, uh, you know, kind of having a little bit too much time to themselves. Uh, but uh, as a lay person who's not qualified to speak about psychology, if I were to guess, I would say there's a lot of people that's had a really ill effect on them. And I've noticed it in my, you know, my own personal relations with a lot of people that they have changed. And you see it also in the kind of percentage of vitriolic, almost uh, discourse that people have that you have somebody walking into a Starbucks and cussing people out and shouting the N word and, you know, uh, racism and just every like nasty and disgusting thing you can think about 
pouring out of their nuffs. Why? Because someone asked you to put a damn face mask on. Like, what's the big deal? It's a face mask. You're not going to die. What's the big deal? Just put it on. Just it, it should be enough for you, even if you don't believe the face mask has any efficacy whatsoever. Just as a common, decent human being, it should be enough for you just to put it on because you know it'll make another person feel better. Or is the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's entire sunnah of all the things that he used to do in order to honor other human beings, Muslim or Kafir amongst them, elder, younger, black, white, so much ikram he used to show to everybody. Is that all like nonsense now because of Corona? Like we have like a, a sunnah free pass that you don't have to practice the sunnah anymore. You see this vitriol coming out of people. And what is it? It's now because of the coronavirus, you have a, compress, a compression, like a nexus of a number of things that are compressing the nufus and now they're blowing up in weird and ridiculous ways. And the problems were all there from before, but the circumstances are just compressing them. Like, I don't know if anybody knows somewhat like a weird tangent, but we'll go ahead and take like a minute and a half in order to explain it. That the original atomic bomb that they dropped on Hiroshima, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from people who make atomic bombs uh, or from, uh, being people who uh, make them or who they're made for and from being people who drop them or from being people who uh, they're dropped on. Um, the original atomic bomb, they had a problem with uh, detonating it. One of the things was that when they got the critical mass of uh, radioactive, uh, whatever, uranium, and they put it together uh, in order to make the explosion more uh, you know, robust, what they did was they uh, put it in a chamber and the chamber was a spherical chamber lined with explosives that would explode inward and cause the uranium to melt and then compress into a smaller space. Why? So that when it actually explodes, when the, 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 the kind of nuclear reaction starts, that compression will make it even, even more uh, vigorous. And that's what's happening. So all these things, these kind of like psychological issues people have. Uh, on top of the kind of scatter brain that people have of not being able to uh, understand or value authority and knowledge or any methodology in obtaining it. All of it is like, like those, those explosives that are causing the uranium to melt and compress into a smaller and smaller space, which is going to make it just go even crazier when it blows up. And so coming back to coming back to what we're talking about from before, now all of a sudden you have people who are and many people harbored these feelings from before, but socially it was unacceptable for them to open their mouth in a gathering and say anything without making a complete fool out of themselves. Which is what? I'm right. All of the ulama, all of those people who are studying and teaching deen, who have made sacrifices to study and sacrifice to teach, and who have kept suhba and traveled uh, you know, to the continents of the world and kept the company of the great ulama of Islam, who are in a direct chain of narration from the great mashaykh of the past, who connect to the great imams of the past from before them, who connect to the salaf al-salih, the tabi'in, tabi'a tabi'in, and the companions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who literally relate the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa with the unbroken chain of narration. Now you have people who are willing to come out and say, all of these people are morons, all of these people are idiots, and all of these people are sellouts, and all of these people are pushing government agenda, and all of these people are, uh, uh, you know, have been duped by this Dajjalic system, and I'm the only one who's right, and me and some like other nutcase guy who makes takfir of everybody. And, uh, you know, you know, that's not, that's not how stuff is done. Uh, 
And I'm not saying that everybody who claims he's a scholar is a scholar. I'm not saying that everybody who has a chain of narration knows what they're talking about or is even narrating something correct. But there's an entire system by which these things are, uh, are you know, litigated. If there's a difference of opinion between people, there's an entire system by which that's worked out. And there are a number of outcomes. When someone says something, they may be right. They may be wrong. Or it may be somewhere in a gray area in the middle where you can't 100% prove that they're right and you can't 100% prove that they're wrong and you agree to disagree. Those things that are 100% right, we consider them to be aqidah. They are agreed upon by the Ahlul Sunnah al Jama'ah. We say, I'm right, you're wrong. Those things that are wrong are also then uh, excluded through aqidah. They themselves are not things that we believe, but we're th- things that we believe are incorrect. In the middle is a majority of what we refer to as fiqh. And then there are things, you know, fiqh is like probably right, but possibly wrong. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff that's just like politics. It's just like, this is, you know, you choose what works best for you. You have an option of a number of different ways of thinking about things or doing things. And, uh, you know, you're mandated to choose what's best. And some things that are are not even politics. You know, if you want to have, there's, you know, two... uh, you know, two uh, choices at the lunch line for soup. You know, there's the split pea soup and the chicken corn soup, and you like chicken corn and the other guy likes split pea. Then let everybody eat what they're happy with. And really, one cannot say objectively that one is better than the other. One can say why it's better to them, but objectively, the sharia itself rules that one is not all that much better than the other, uh, or not in a way that a person can say definitively. And so what happens? We bypass all of that. We bypass all of that and then make our feelings, our emotions into the mufti. And uh, that mufti will then start making up its own aqidah. Uh, and it gets to ridiculous points. You know, like people will, you know, this uh, coronavirus, the vaccine came out. Darul Qasim gave a fatwa. Mulana uh, mufti, uh, 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 Mulana uh, Dr. Abdul Mateen uh, uh, Khan, who is uh, going to be uh, a presenter in this uh, in this conference, if he hasn't already presented yet. Um, he also gave fatwa about its permissibility. And what is it? You don't know. This is a Dajjalic system. You don't know about eschatology. Someone says to me, you don't know about eschatology. Eschatology is a word. It means the, the knowledge about the end of time. I suspect the person who said it probably learned what that word meant, like maybe three, four days before making that comment and was very proud of it. And uh, brothers and sisters, we are, as people of the law, whether you are a, a, a graduate of madrasa and you talk about fiqh, uh, or like our good friend Osman Chaudhry in the office in, uh, um, in Dar Salaam, you know, you're like a lawyer, like an American lawyer. One thing that's common between all of uh, these different types of practitioners of the law is that we're wordsmiths. We put together words for a living and we also deconstruct them and we are paid, so to speak, uh, to see beyond the words that are used, not to be impressed by the words that are used and look and see what the meaning behind them is. And anybody who doesn't think about the Yom Qiyamah, that person isn't a mufti or a faqih in the first place. And just because you know that the Dal exists, and just because you know the Dajjal is coming one day, and just because you know that the Dajjal has a system, it doesn't allow you to buck the necessity for going through procedure, 
which is what? Even if the Dajjal is in front of you, even if the Dajjal like Zoom bombs this meeting and he sticks his fingers in his ears and he says, meow, 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 I'm the Dajjal and like I'm interrupting Dar Salaam's video conference and Dar Salaam or Dar Salaam's conference, not video conference. There's actually no video on it. What if he shows up with the video, right? If anyone has a fit question at that time, the same methodology that was used to run the Ottoman Empire, the same methodology that was used to run the Mughal Empire, the same methodology that Banu Abbas used and the ulama used in Banu Umayyah, the same methodology that was used by our Aslaf, that's the same methodology you're going to use to answer a fifth question at that time that you are right now. The fact that the Yom Qiyamah is going to happen does not allow you to throw the, the, the methodology of Islam out the door and now it's like special as if you're like playing Super Mario Brothers, you just grabbed a star and now you're completely on fire. You do whatever you want to or, you know, all bets are off or, you know, we just entered into an alternate dimension and things are different now. They're not. They're not different. In fact, if you read the books of our Mashaykh, our Akabir, read the, the Hujjatullah al-Baligha, it's literally sitting right here on my desk. If we were on video, I would have showed it to you right now, proved it to you, if you didn't believe me. The whole brilliance of the book is what? is to say that the Sharia Allah gave us the same Sharia which mandates us to uh, uh, you know, wash our uh, limbs three times or wipe our head once in wudu or to, you know, that it's makru to pray after the sun rises, uh, 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 you know, from the time the sun rises until it comes off the horizon by a certain amount or whatever. That same Sharia, the principles on which it's based in this material world, those principles are immutable through all sorts of different dimensions of existence uh, in life and in death and in resurrection and in the hereafter they're immutable in the hellfire and they're immutable in uh, uh, in, in in jannah may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala take all of us there despite our faults and our unworthiness they're immutable that's the beauty of the system that's what it means when you say something is the haq it doesn't mean that oh look something changed and now all bets are off and now it's like brave brave new world we throw everything else that was uh, there in the garbage from the past and that's one of the things people have to understand is that that process is the only thing that's, that's going get to you, get you through this. You cannot say, oh, look, coronavirus is ha- happening and the ICUs are filled in hospitals all across America. And I, I feel very passionate about helping people who are sick. So I'm going to open up my own ward and start treating my own patients. If you don't know what you're doing, you're going to kill people. Your wish to do good by people is not going to help. At that point, your wish to do good by those sick people is going to be best served by what? By making dua for them, by feeding them, by helping put together competent care for them. But you're not going to be able to care for them because you didn't plan for it and you didn't ready yourself for it. And the same thing has to do with serving the deen. If you don't plan for it, you don't ready yourself for it with the requisite knowledge. Just shouting people down, it's not going to help. It's not going to benefit. Even if you feel really strongly inside something's wrong and everybody, you know, you know something everybody else doesn't know. At worst, you're going to just be one more person in line amongst a group of people who don't know what they're talking about. You're going to be like X number of people don't know what they're talking about. You're going to be X plus one. It's not going to help anybody. At that time, what can you do? Make dua. What can you do? Make the intention. I will go through the difficulty Myself or I will sponsor another person to go through the difficulty or I'll prepare my children to go through the difficulty in order to do those things that they need to do in order to prepare for actually being able to help. 
to fulfill those prerequisites to being able to help. Just like if you want to help somebody when they're sick right now, but you don't know anything about medicine, what can you do? You can support financially the people who are doing it. You can support them with your duas. You can cook dinner for them or make lunch for them. You can help fundraise for their buildings. But you can't actually treat the patient until you know what you're talking about. And there's a very interesting parallel. You know, man qala fil Qur'ani bi ra'yihi faqad akhta'a wayna asab. It's a hadith of Tirmidhi of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam or kama qala alayhi The person who talks about the Qur'an from their own uh, opinion, uh, meaning what? Not something that's based on something that's transmitted or a solid source of knowledge, but from what they feel like. This is what this ayah means to me. That person is wrong, even if they're right. Meaning, even if they're, even if they're, the thing that they say ends up matching with what the ulama say, or on the day of judgment, end up matching with the haq, they're still going to be written as one of the people who lied against the book of Allah Taala. I give the example of it as, as like what, like imagine, like I, tr- I used to travel a lot before the uh, lockdown, and so oftentimes uh, I can fly over my house in Addison and see it. Um, and uh, then we land at O'Hare, and then I have to drive back. So what if one day I was like, hey, my house is right there. Why should I waste my time, you know, landing, taxiing, and, uh, you know, mashallah, our Muslim community doesn't really buy you first-class tickets, so we have to wait for the rest of the plane to deplane before we can get off. So why should I wait for that? I'll just open the emergency exit door and jump off. Is it a smart idea? Is it a good idea? It's not a good idea. First of all, because there's very low likelihood that you're going to land anywhere near your house. You, you're, you know, no person doesn't have the precision to be able to time to jump and like, you know, have a, such a uh, calculated knowledge of, uh, you know, aerodynamics and whatever that they're going to land in the correct place. But more importantly than that, even if you do land right at your doorstep, you're going to land in pizza form. You're not going to land intact. This is what Allah Ta'ala's Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says about the person who says his own opinion about the Qur'an, meaning what says his own opinion about the deen? That he's wrong even if he happens to be right. Whereas on the flip side, the person who did the preparation, that on the flip side, if a alim is alim, a person who knows what they're talking about, and I, when I say alim, I'm not talking about somebody with a with a sanad or a degree. No, a person who actually did their homework and understood all the aspects of the particular item of knowledge that they're going to open their mouth about or run their uh, pen about or their keyboard typewriter swipe their finger on a screen about that person that person if they exert their utmost in order to figure out what they think is the closest to the solution and then they say their solution it's something the messenger of Allah is pleased with Sayyidina Mu'adh bin Jabal radiallahu anhu expressed that this was what he would do if he had to judge between people and he couldn't find an answer in the book of Allah or the Sunnah of the Prophet The Nabi tapped him on the chest with pride. He was pleased with him and said, praise be to Allah who gave uh, the ability for the messenger of the messenger of Allah, meaning Mu'adh bin Jabal, gave the ability to the messenger of the messenger of Allah 
the ability to say that thing which pleases the Messenger of Allah And this is why we also attribute to the Sunnah that the Mujtahid, that person who takes the time and effort in order to prepare themselves in order to speak on a certain topic, meaning that they prepare so much that they don't slacken in any way, shape, or form in their preparation to speak about what they're talking about. They leave no stone unturned. Not just like, well, I read about that and I have some ideas. No. You read, and you read more, and you read more, and you read from the ulama you agree with, you read from the ulama you disagree with, you read from the Muslims you agree with, you read from the kafirs you agree with, you read with the, from the Muslims you disagree with, you read from the kafirs you disagree with. You thought about it for a while. You reflected about it. Then you open your mouth. Then what, what's the, what does the sunnah tell us? That that person, if they give the right answer in that case, they get one or two good deeds written for them. And if they give the wrong answer, they give one good deed. Why? Because the process is important. The process is important. And the parallel between that and between medicine, because we're talking about the coronavirus right now. The parallel is what? is that in the Maliki fiqh, we have, mashallah, our great Hanafi muftis here. They can chime in during my talk, after my talk, before my talk, if they're adept at time travel. Uh, they can chime in and tell us what, what, you know, what the opinion of the Hanafi school is. In the Maliki school, I suspect it's somewhat similar in the Hanafi school and all the schools of fiqh. In the, Hanafi school, in the Maliki school, if a person gives medical treatment to another person and they die of it, uh, or they are harmed by it, that person is legally that person is legally responsible for the harm they did why because they know that they they weren't qualified they opened their mouth anyway they knew they're not qualified whereas a person who is qualified that person treats a person that person dies anyway they're not legally they're not legally responsible unless there's some sort of gro- gross negligence that's that's displayed that can be proven in court why because one person has de- demonstrated the capacity to um, to show that they can try their best, and another person doesn't have that their capacity. So even if they are trying their best, they know their best is not enough from the get go. And so what they're doing is reckless. They're responsible for it. Now, when it comes to the actual virus, I'm not going to give a fatwa. Mashallah, Doctor Matina is here. Dar Qasim is literally just up the road from Dar Salam. They already gave a fatwa of Jawaz. And now you have, mashallah, the, the, the jackals and the hyenas, Pidreman Sultan Bud, Pidreman Sultan Bud, saying what? Not writing a fatwa against it that has dalil and that has uh, uh, reasoning. And what are the, f- the fatwas of, you know, Dar Qasim and uh, Mulana Dr. Mateen? That the, not that the, the vaccine is fard, that you have to take it. No. They're saying that the vaccine is jais, it's permissible. And so in order to refute it, you either have to bring the proof that it's obligatory to take it, which most of these people are not, you know, in that camp, or you have to bring proof that it is haram to take it. If you cannot bring proof, then you have no, uh, you have no uh, uh, standing uh, on which to disparage uh, those mashayikh and those ulama who said what they said. And really, your uh, burden of proof is uphill. It's much easier to prove something is permissible than it is to prove something is impermissible or obligatory. And who are the B team that are that are are are, are saying all of these things? Who are the B team that are saying all of these things? They're not people of any repute amongst the ulama. 
They're not people who have taught any of the great ulama. They're not people who run any of the great institutions of ilm. And they're not even people who are all that advanced in medicine. And all I see when I ask people, I say, Khalas, you know, you just came out, you know, uh, swinging right out of the gates. You came out guns blazing, saying these people don't know about eschatology and they don't know about the Dajjal and they don't know about the system of vulm of, you know, the United States government and they don't know about, uh, uh, you know, the system of vulm of the, you know, World uh, Health Organization and the UN and this and that and the other thing. Don't tell me about that. I was going to protest against the Iraq war and against sanctions when I was like a teenager in high school. I know, I know that our government has done great wrong. I know the UN is not a, an organization that lives up to its ideals, to put it very, very mildly. I know what this government has done, injecting uh, uh, you know, African-Americans with syphilis in the Tuskegee uh, experiments. I know these things. I know that Dajjal exists. And I'm not a person who says that whoever talks about the Dajjal is like, has their mind stuck somewhere in a, you know, in a hole and like, we need to get beyond. I'm not that person. If you want, you can go look up. Like I gave an entire uh, series of talks about the end of time. They're uh, almost all of them are on SoundCloud. They're the Juma Khutbah in our, our masjid in, uh, uh, in Cleveland. You can hear them all on SoundCloud uh, several weeks to talk about, to talk about the Zuhur of the Imam Mahdi and the Dajjal himself. And then the uh, Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam and you know, how the Yom Qiyamah will start and all of these things. These are important things. We have to talk about them. This is part of fiqh. Every mufti has to know about these things and every mufti has to think about when before giving a fatwa, how is this going to affect a person in this world? How is this going to affect a person in the hereafter? And this is why I'm not happy about this trend where people are like, well, you know, uh, and Islam uh, is, you know, uh, there to give you uh, benefits. And so this is jais and that's jais and that's haram and that's haram and that's what, but it's fine. If you want to talk about worldly benefits and preserving life and preserving, uh, uh, you know, uh, preserving wealth, then if that's the only thing or that's the dominant thing uh, that you put into the calculation in your fatwa, then I, what's, I don't know, understand what's the difference between a person who believes in Allah in the last day and, and, and a kafir. I, I don't understand. I say you have to know about these things. We all need to know about these things. However, that being said, having established that that's important, you have first principles that you rule by when giving a ruling, when giving a fatwa. You cannot bypass those first principles to talk about secondary principles. You cannot say, oh, look, pharmaceutical companies are you know, providing money or sorry, providing cures that are more concerned with making money than they are with health. I agree that I, I agree that's a by and large, it's a correct statement. But it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that uh, you can bypass first first principles, questions of whether this thing is efficacious or not, what, whether it's going to benefit you or not. Every vaccine still has to be decided on its own merits. You cannot say, oh, look, you know, we're getting close to the end of time. And in the end of time, we know that everything is going to be deception. Therefore, this also must be deception. Well, why is this the first thing that you invoke deception on? Why, why wasn't deception deception last week? Or why is it not going to be deception next week? And this week, we're still, um, you know, we're, we're, we can still trust our hospitals or we can still trust our doctors. Rather, we, you know, run through first principles. So there's a hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Actually, there are a number of, of different hadith uh, that, that, uh, <laughs> Describe the same uh, incident that happened 
narrated by Alqamat ibn Wa'il uh, from his fa- father Wa'il bin Hujar radiyallahu anhu, the companion of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, a very well-known companion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam who accepted Islam relatively early. He went back to his qawm and called them to Islam and they accepted Islam at his hands. A number of hadith about like simple things like about how the prayers prayed are narrated by Sayyidina Wa'il bin Hujar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. فاجر لا يبالي على ما حلف عليه وليس يتورع من شيء فقال ليس لك منه إلا ذلك فانطلق ليحلف فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لما أدبر أمال إن حلف على ماله ليأكله ظلما ليلقين الله وهو عنه معرض A man from Hadramaut which is a place that's east of uh, the traditional uh, land of Yemen, although it's part of Yemen politically now. So a man from Hadramaut and a man from Kinda came to the Prophet ﷺ. And the Hadrami said, O Messenger of Allah, this man has taken my land I inherited from my father by force. The Kindi replied, It is my land. I possess it and I work its fields. He has no right therein. The Messenger of Allah ﷺ said to the Hadrami, Do you have any proof for your claim? The Hadrami said, No. The Messenger of Allah said to the Kindi, you may validate your claim if you swear an oath on it. Meaning what? The Kindi had possession and the Hadrami claims that it was taken from him. First, the Prophet asked the Hadrami, provide proof. When he couldn't provide proof, then he turned to the Kindi because possession is nine points of the law, even in the American system. And he says, then I want you to swear an oath affirming that this is rightfully your land. The Prophet ﷺ turned to the Kindi and said, you may validate your claim if you swear an oath on it. The Hadrami said, O Messenger of Allah, the man is a profligate who doesn't care what he swears on and he's not cautious in any of his affairs. Meaning you're going to ask him to swear an oath, he'll swear anything in order to get the land. Like he doesn't care. The Messenger of Allah ﷺ said what? He said, there's no remedy for you in this case other than this. So the Kindi went forth to swear when the Messenger of Allah ﷺ said, as for if one swears an oath against another's wealth in order to unjustly misappropriate it, he shall indeed uh, uh, meet Allah and find that Allah has turned away from him. Meaning Allah Ta'ala on the Day of Judgment will not listen to any of his pleas. Tibi, um, who is uh, uh, one of the canonical commentators on the Mishkat al-Masabih, mentions in regard to the meaning of turning away to be a metaphor for Allah humiliating him on the Day of Judgment. Ash'ath bin Qais uh, narration in the Sunan of Abi Dawud uh, includes mention of being resurrected as a leper, uh, as a punishment for for using the system to misappropriate uh, 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 land. In this narration, the Kindi, after hearing the prophetic admonishment, forgoes the claim. Meaning, the Kindi, out of fear of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, he says, "You know what? Just let him have it. Because even if even if I happen to be wrong in this, even if I happen to be wrong." Uh, and I don't know about. It. I don't even want to take that risk because the the punishment is too much. Just let him have the have the land. And uh, one might say, well, it's maybe because he's guilty, or maybe because he fears Allah more. Allah knows best. 
Why? We don't know what's in people's hearts. Right? In this narration, the Kindi, after hearing the prophetic admonishment, foregoes his claim. A similar incident is narrated by Ahmed and the Sahihain about a property dispute between Arwa bin Uwais and no less than Sa'id bin Zayd, one of the ten companions promised paradise during the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah. A point which is mentioned as a matter of aqidah by the Ahl Sunnah. The matter was adjudicated by Marwan bin Hakam during his governorate over Medina Munawwara. May Allah increase her in her honor uh, in favor of Arwa. And Sa'id bin Zaid was understandably upset given that he was in the right. He asked how he could misappropriate any part of her land uh, 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 when uh, 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 he personally heard the Messenger of Allah say that whoever misappropriated even a handspan of land would find it in all its weight running down through the seven earths tied around his neck on the Day of Judgment. At that occasion, he prayed uh, that Allah take Arwa's sight away from her and turn her property into her grave. She later lost her sight and would say it was a manifestation of Sa'id's prayer. She would later fall into a well on her property and was never retrieved from it, it thus becoming her grave. Now, what's the point of me mentioning these, these, these narrations? The point is, is what? There are a lot of things in life that are legit. You don't know what the truth is. It's not, it's not completely like clear to you right away because there is a lot of stuff that just doesn't fit, you know, when you put the pieces of the puzzle together. There are a lot of things you just don't know. There are a lot of things that make you, you know, uh, that, that make you wonder, like, what's actually going on here? You know, I think a person who doesn't trust the government, uh, uh, you know, I don't think that person is crazy. I personally don't trust the government for a lot of things. They do a lot of crooked things. They say, see something, say something. Well, uh, that only ca- counts when you're, uh, you know, uh, ripping on minorities or on Muslims. Edward Snowden, uh, you know, see something, say something. Reality winner, see something, say something. All of them ended up one in exile and one in jail. I, I know that the government does crooked things. I'm not an idiot. I wasn't born yesterday. I know conspiracies exist. At the same time, the fact that a conspiracy exists or that conspiracies do exist doesn't allow a person to clock out of the system or clock out of procedure. Everything we judge, we judge according to the system. This system is our najat. It is our salvation in this world and in the hereafter. And the system has first principles. If you want to say something is haram, you bring your proof. You can't just say that, oh, look, these people work for the Dajjal and Dajjal is coming at the end of time. He's going to uh, uh, he's going to deceive people and these people are all deceived. Those are secondary issues. Those are secondary issues that are not directly related to what we know is in the vaccine or what's not in the vaccine. They're not, you know, they're secondary issues. They're not primary issues with re- relation to the issue at hand. And you can't invoke these secondary issues and use them to bypass the, 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 the system, the methodology that's given us to us by the Sharia. Look at two of these. During the life of the Prophet ﷺ and during the life of the companions, عنهم, two examples. Two examples of our sacred and holy Sharia that we swear by and the belief in which makes us a Muslim and the belittling of which will throw a person out of the the, the, the circle of Islam. That Sharia, two examples of it, giving a ruling of 
minimally questionable, maximally dubious or even wrong outcomes. One in the case of the Kindi being able to take the land from the Hadarami, even though the Hadarami swears up and down that it's his land. And the second in which Marwan bin Hakam, who is not a very well-liked individual, he is not a companion, first of all, and the companions didn't look well uh, upon him. They didn't think he was an upright and honorable individual. He was actually a person, uh, uh, you know, to put it very mildly, uh, around which a, a great amount of strife and uh, even bloodshed, uh, including the assassination of Sayyidina Uthman, who kind of orbited uh, like a planet orbits the sun. Like wherever he goes, trouble happens. But he was the judge, and he judged in the case according to the methodology given by the Sharia. And so Sa'id bin Zayd knows that the outcome of the case uh, wasn't conformant with what he knew to be true, but he abided by it, and he 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 was right. And it was the entire history of Islam bears witness that he was right. He was right. He made dua against this woman. His dua was answered. She went, she went uh, blind and she tripped and fell into a, into a well on that land, almost to a comical degree. The, the curse of the righteous is not something to laugh about. But if you look at it, like it literally unfolded like clockwork. But nobody, neither Said bin Zayd himself, عنه, nor any of the commentators or ulama throughout the history, None of them raised this objection that what? That that court case was ruled wrong. Why? Because they all knew that it, it was ruled according to a particular methodology. And so those people who are ulama, Sheikh Amin with Darul Qasim, mashallah, I came to Chicago with Darul Qasim in 2012. Since that 2012, I remember they have regular meetings about bioethics with doctors, with nurse practitioners, with scientists, with all sorts of people. I sat in on some of them, Dr. Asim Padella, um, uh, you know, trained on the Islamic end by Sheikh Amin, doing excellent work in this, in this field. These people have been at it for quite some time. They're experts in, in what they do. And it really opened my eyes a lot and made me realize how much more I had to learn uh, in the field of, of uh, Islamic bioethics. Then to have people just like shout them down, oh, you don't know because the government lies to people. You guys are so naive. No, they know. If you want to bring proof, bring your proof. If it's just a feeling inside of your heart that you are uneasy, then know that not every case in life is going to be a slam dunk. Sometimes a procedure will lead you to something that may turn out to be wrong, but sticking to the procedure always will give you a statistically higher chance of a good outcome than, than, than bucking the procedure will and just, you know, rolling, rolling the dice. The Sharia is not dice. The Sharia is a system. And Allah Ta'ala promises the person who keeps that system, even if the outcome seems to be wrong to you, that still some khair and some good is going to come from it. And if you want to buck that system, if you want to like throw that system away, uh, then it's a sign of a weak intellect, of a weak aql. That you want to take the thing that has a higher probability of, of goodness in this world and a complete probability of goodness in this world and the hereafter in favor of just, uh, uh, you know, just doing something random. That never helps. It never does anything good. And unfortunately, the ummah has been like far too okay with that method of doing stuff for far too long. And this is why you will see no 10 Muslims can get together and stay together on any one issue.
we have we don't have the ability to 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 digest those things that we don't agree with or or those systems or methodologies that we set up through mutual consultation and mutual agreement we don't have the ability to sit through them and why what is the wabal what is the 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 ill effect of it the ill effect of it is what if we never uh, respect any sort of authority in in the the sharia well guess what you don't get any sharia if we don't set up any systems by which we can rule a, 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 like a court or rule any law, well, guess what? Your law will never be applied anywhere. If you don't have any systems by which to uh, uh, say what you consider ethical in medicine uh, or not, and at the last minute, every, you know, shad and fad is going to show up and uh, give their opinion and, uh, you know, talk about how stupid everybody else is. Well, guess what? Nobody's going to care about what your ethical uh, edicts uh, and verdicts are with regards to medicine or really with regards to anything else. And, uh, you know, this is a pain in my heart. Uh, I wanted to share it. Uh, I consider uh, that, mashallah, the other presenters in this conference are far more qualified and will probably give you a far more beneficial presentation. And uh, when uh, the brothers Mufti uh, contacted me to speak at the conference, I said, mashallah, you guys have the ahbar of the qawm, the great ulama of the qawm, mashallah, that are going to be addressing you. I don't know what, you know, if you want me to do a comedy hour or something, uh, but they insisted. So here I am. And I had this one um, uh, uh, sad, mel- melancholy ballad that I wanted to sing in front of everybody. Man bahar jami'iyati nalan shudam. Like one of the opening abiyat of the Masnavi Sharif, Mulana Tamim taught me that Mulana Rumi said that I'm the one who, in every in every gathering, I cry the same uh, I cry the same uh, lament. Uh, those people who are of a good state, I'll sit with them and cry the same lament. And those people who are in a bad state, I'll cry the same lament. So this is uh, part of the thing that hurts me with regards to seeing the state of the Ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Uh, And I would hope that uh, anyone who this talk makes any sense to can kind of bring it in and uh, and help uh, establish a culture of, you know, accepting, accepting authority and accepting methodology. Um, And the test is when that authority and that methodology, uh, you know, results in something you don't like or that's not in your benefit. That's the day we see, you know, that the iman, is it, is it ripe or is it still raw? Is it still undeveloped? Is it still immature? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give all of us so much tawfiq. Wa sallallahu tabarak wa ta'ala wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. If I went over, please, uh, um, please uh, forgive me. Barakallahu feekum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Zagullah khair.